Angels help us to adore him. Ye behold him face to face. Or, as Robbie Williams might say, I sit and wait. Does an angel contemplate my fate? And do they know the places where we go when we're grey and old? Because I've been told that salvation lets their wings unfold. So when I'm lying in my bed, thoughts running through my head, and I feel the love is dead, I'm loving angels instead. I was going to sing the next bit, but listen, you people have done me no harm. It's hard to believe that in nearly 40 years of being a minister, I have never once preached about angels. So today is a bit of a first. I think I've avoided the topic because it's always seemed to me to be a bit weird, a bit fanciful and fantastical, a bit oldie-worldy superstitious, over the top, and did not sit comfortably with my rationalist, hard-nosed, intellectually disciplined, down-to-earth, let's steer clear of the wacky stuff preference. That may have been a mistake, letting my prejudices be the determining factor in what can and cannot be the case, rather than letting what is the case determine what can or cannot be the case. Turns out you can't move very far in the Bible without bumping into an angel in some form or another. That might feel a bit uncomfortable to our modern ears and seem like a, a drift into unhelpful myth, fiction and melodrama. We are proud that the faith we have cannot be confused with Grimm's fairy tales, Aesop's fables or tales from the Arabian Nights. And we are a little unsure as to where talk of angels comes in our narrative. But it remains the case, there they are, angels going up and down Jacob's stairway to heaven, out in the bleak aloneness of the wilderness. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego finding company with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. The psalmist David delighted that we are so precious in God's eyes that we are a little lower, only a little lower than the angels. Visions and dreams of cherubim and seraphim and their song filling the temple provide the setting for the call of Isaiah. While in the New Testament, from beginning to end, you can hardly turn a corner without a brief encounter with an angel. The angel Gabriel announces the birth of Christ. The choir of angels lights up Christmas. Angels minister to Christ following the temptations in the wilderness. A grinning angel sits cross-legged by the empty tomb. Peter escapes from prison following the intervention of an angel. The seven churches of the book of Revelation find their witness and their ministry upheld by an angel each. Like it or not, whoever they are and whatever they are, they are in the story. Squirm at the awkwardness of these apparent eruptions of the extraordinary and extraterrestrial into the experience of the ordinary and the earthbound, but there they are. Bump, oops, there's another one. It turns out that many religions forby Christianity have a place in their thinking for angels. Zoroastrianism, Judaism, Islam find room in their thought and theology for heavenly messengers and approaches from them are included in the story of faith without embarrassment or apology. Mm. 
And maybe some folks here are okay with angels various, archangels, guardian angels and such. Other people, hmm, not so much. Hollywood certainly loves angels and the dramatic opportunities they present, the ethical dilemmas they throw up or help us cope with. Clarence, the chubby angel in It's a Wonderful Life, gives James Stewart a life-saving insight into the impact for good his life has had. Heaven Can Wait, 1978, describes the bumbling interference of a so-called guardian angel who botches his first assignment. City of Angels, a total tearjerker, explores the price of love and the cost of humanity when an angel falls in love. Michael, 1996, with John Travolta, describes a rather unexpected kind of chain-smoking archangel with some rather non-ecclesiastical habits. While Constantine, with Keanu Reeves, reminds those who care to consider it that the Zoroastrians, the ancient Persian religious tradition that viewed the world as a battleground between forces of good and forces of evil, between light and darkness, maybe could be right. And there might just be dark angels as well as good angels. Hell's angels, so-called, for a reason. I never like to speculate too robustly on things about which I could not possibly speak with any authority. So this reflection on angels will have less to do with what they are, how they are created, of what they are constituted, how much do they know, are they immortal, how many of them can dance on the head of a pin. But more about what I do know, and I'm more interested in, and I suspect most of you will be more interested in, namely, with all this angel stuff around, why have I never met one, or seen one, outside of an art gallery, or the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? Do they really have wings and play harps? Do they really interact with our human condition? How would we know if we met one? Do they change and transmogrify? And more intriguingly perhaps, what are they for anyway? And of course, the big question. Why does God prefer us to them? Given all the trouble we've caused him. The New Testament reminds us that he did not come to help angels but the descendants of Abraham. The Christian concept of an angel characterised the angel as a messenger of God. And later came the identification of individual angelic messengers, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael. And then in the space of little more than two centuries, from around the third to the fifth centuries, the image of angels took on definite characteristics, both in theology and in art. And we have the great painters and the stunning frescoes to create that common mental picture of what an angel would look like, how we would know we had met one, if we ever met one. The Gospels give three accounts of angels interacting with Christ's story. According to Mark's Gospel, after Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In Luke 22, an angel comforts Christ during the agony in the garden and Matthew 28, an angel speaks at the empty tomb following the resurrection of Jesus and the rolling back of the stone by angels. They are out there, or certainly in there, in the story. One of the most recent and respected discussions on the place of angels in the life of the church 
came in Pope John Paul II's 1986 address entitled Angels Participate in the History of Salvation, in which he suggested that modern thinking should come to see the importance of angels and come to terms with their place in the story, our story. He says, the theme that we have touched on may seem far away or less vital to the modern mentality, but the church believes that she renders a great service when she proposes sincerely the totality of the truth about God, the Creator, and also about angels. In frequent references to Scripture, Paul II reminds us that Jesus himself said the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, so that when we sing our hymns, we are joining them in the glorious hymn of praise offered in adoration and obedience to God by the heavenly choirs. More controversially, perhaps, and coming out of that colourful tradition of Catholic devotion, Pope Paul II raises the question, sparked by the writer to the Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to possess salvation. He says the church believes and teaches on the basis of sacred scripture, where we learn that the task of the good angels is to protect people and be solicitous for their salvation. And we find lots of hints at that in various passages of scripture. Psalm 91, He will give his angels charge of you and keep you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. When Jesus speaks of children and warns against leading them astray, he says, See that you don't despise any of these little ones. Their angels in heaven, I tell you, are always in the presence of my Father in heaven. The book of the Acts of the Apostles speaks of many incidents of the church being helped by messengers of God. The angel liberates the apostles from prison. First of all, Peter. He guides the activity of Peter in regard to the centurion Cornelius and in similar the activity of the deacon Philip along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Angels out and about shaping the destiny of the early church. Well, we may hesitate to go all the way with our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church who follow the logic of these reflections and with the Pope declare therefore and I quote, the church confesses her faith in the guardian angels, venerating them in the liturgy with an appropriate feast and recommending recourse to their protection by frequent prayer. And as St. Basil says, every one of the faithful has beside him an angel as tutor and pastor to lead him to life. Hmm. Sounds great. And yet with all this angelic activity out and about, I haven't ever seen one. Or have I? For essentially the role of the angel is to be a messenger of God, and I've certainly met plenty of those. People who've told me divine truths that shaped my life and took me to good places, glorious places, uncomfortable places. A little bald plumber from the east end of Glasgow, Mr Reed, my Sunday school superintendent, who told me about Jesus and taught me to love him. The monk in the monastery of Stavravuni in Cyprus, who led me to the chapel there, to the piece of the cross that they hold as a, a precious relic, and who prayed with me there and prays for me still. The fine minister I had as a teenager, who stopped me fooling around with faith and raised the possibility of a call to ministry. 
People who've come alongside me when things were very difficult and sustained me and encouraged me. The woman whose humble faith and refusal to buckle and break when yet more tragedy crashed down on her head and it would have been easy to turn her back on faith and walk away, but she was there, faithful to the end. People who lifted my spirits at the deepest level in the profoundest, darkest place of the heart. A nun with the voice of an angel in the church at Fatima who sang praises to God with such beauty you can be sure this is how they sing in heaven. People who picked me up when I stumbled and set me on the right road again. Angels who ministered to me in the wilderness times. People who were so kind and loving when everything seemed broken and hopeless. So, yes, I have met angels. And the thing is, They looked just like you. There were no wings, no feathers and no harps. They looked just like you. And I like to think maybe I've been allowed to do some angelic stuff myself. Be a messenger from God. With a word of comfort by a hospital bed. Held the hand of a broken hearted parent. Brought cheer to a lonely person who thought no one cared. Gone in your name and in Christ's name to listen and love and pray. There are more angels out there than we can imagine. And it could be you. When your heart is warm and your words are kind. And your respect is true and your spirit is tender because Christ is in you. I particularly like the passage in Hebrews when the secret of meeting angels unfolds. Remember, it says, remember to welcome strangers in your home. There were some who did that and welcomed angels without knowing it. In the place of hospitality, there you find angels. Giving and receiving hospitality when you open your home and your heart in generous, compassionate welcome and caring, you have a good chance of running into an angel or two. As someone's story is shared and a connection is made that is real and human, and there and then, you meet the angel that they are and they meet the messenger of God, the bearer of his love that you are. A perfect symbiotic relationship that brings healing and humanity and true Christianity. So do not give up on hospitality. In providing hospitality, you may find you are entertaining angels. No wings, no feathers, no harp. Just possibly our best chance of meeting one. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.